on this episode of The Kinked Wire. To be a good volunteer and to really make a difference, you know, you need to do a lot of listening and hear what are the themes that are around you and what are people struggling with and not wait for somebody to tell you what they want you to do. Welcome to The Kinked Wire, the interventional radiology podcast from SIR's IR Quarterly Magazine. You can learn more at our website, sirweb.org slash kinkedwire. In this Owning Success episode, guest host Nishita Kathari speaks with Drs. Laura Findice, Jim Spees, and Alda Tam about their paths into leadership, experiences on the SIR Executive Council, and what advice they'd offer interventional radiology trainees. Welcome to the Owning Success series by Women in IR. Today, we have three fantastic members. We have Dr. Laura Findice, who was the uh, president from 2019 to 20. We have Dr. Jim Spees, who was our president from 2014 to 2015. And then we, of course, have Dr. Alda Tam, who is the current secretary on her way to become a spectacular president from 2023 to 24. This is about what you did in your term as a president. So welcome aboard and thank you so much for being here and having this conversation to understand the inner workings of SIR is critical as more and more people join SIR. Laura, I am going to start with you. And, you know, 2019 was just a couple of years ago. That was the first time where the society collectively talked about DNI, about inclusion, about hearing everybody's voices, about microaggressions. And another thing was the ECS, you know, more strength to the uh, early career section. So the question I have for you is, how did the executive council come up with your priorities for what you want to do? Thanks, Nishida, for the opportunity to talk to the membership about, you know, making a difference through volunteerism. And I think for all of us, we sort of ended up in these positions through just being passionate about volunteering for the society and continuing to kind of try to make a difference in the way people practice. You know, all of the ideas that the executive council pursues really, in many ways, come from the membership. And, you know, we go through a process of strategic planning every five years with kind of intermittent strategic planning in between, where we really are tapping into trying to hear what the membership is saying matters to them, and then sort of build that into strategy and and then tactics to kind of achieve the strategy. So a lot of it is that process of strategy development, but developed from tapping into the members. As far as the uh, early career section, everything that you see sort of emerge has a very long background. So something that emerges during a particular presidency doesn't necessarily start during that presidency. And I would say the early career section was an idea that came up when we were talking about the success of the residents and fellows section, I think back when I was um, an at-large counselor on the EC. And one of the things that we were talking about is that we had seen so much really positive energy from the RFS, but that as these really engaged and passionate and smart residents and fellows graduated and then went out into practice, we were losing a connection with them. And we had this feeling that they were kind of floundering, living in this world where they didn't have a place to land. They weren't mature interventional radiologists who had extra time to volunteer, but they weren't students who, believe it or not, have a ton of time. They just don't know it yet. You know, that those first years of practice are just such a strain. So we were trying to find a way to keep them connected to the society and hear their particular voices, make sure that we had that listening post, but also a venue for them. 
I think one mistake we made was that we assumed that these same young physicians who had done so much kind of on their own through the RFS would be able to do so much on their own through the early career section that we didn't do much handholding with them. And one of the things that actually happened, I would say, during my presidency was that we re-engaged with them and really tried to reinvigorate. And that was actually an activity that was led by Kevin Dickey and other members of the Executive Council, really trying to figure out what was wrong and, and how to make this a more robust initiative for the society. So lots of people involved, you know, as with anything. And I think, you know, it's exciting to see what's happening with that group now. You know, it is exciting to hear that this, these are the voices of the members of the society, because there's such a brilliant think tank out there in SIR. So I know there's the members meeting, but if somebody had some ideas or wanted to put forward an idea they thought would be excellent, how would they go about it? I think what we've been seeing is um, since CERConnect has come on board, a lot of ideas and good discussions come through that. And sometimes issues that arise from CERConnect are immediately added to the appropriate staff member. And then there's discussion on the staff side and, and on the EC side. But I would say as a direct answer to your question, we do have a membership counselor and a staff person at the SIR dedicated exclusively to membership needs. And so any sort of direct query or an idea could definitely be funneled to them. And then it would be routed through the appropriate channels. We also have multiple initiatives that are more division specific. So for example, every November, we have an open call for guidelines topics, what the members feel that we ought to be writing on. And if you submit through there, your idea does get discussed and it gets prioritized and you know resources get allocated if it elevates up to the level of warranting a paper or position statement to be written. I would also say on behalf of the SIRF or the foundation is that they also now have an open call for research ideas from the membership. So how do we strategize what the SIR foundation should be funding to move research forward for the entire field of interventional radiology? So I think those are some specific examples, but if those don't cover it, you know, obviously everyone on the EC, our contacts are easy enough to reach. And I think anyone would welcome sort of direct contact. This society, uh, ever since this beginning, has been very open to new ideas and, and people's suggestions. And what Alda just said, you know, the current leadership would be perfectly happy to get the email or get the phone call or whatever. And when you're in the council, people come up to you at the meeting and they have, you know, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? And, and so many great ideas have come from that. Uh, of course, one of the problems is we have a lot of ideas and not necessarily the bandwidth in some cases. And so one of the things that all organizations struggle with, and we've had our share of struggles, and I think that we're addressing them well, is to take that input, but then we have to fit it within a context of what we can achieve and what is doable and what's going to have the greatest impact for members. So not every idea can be acted upon, but if we don't know of the idea, then we don't even have a chance to consider it. So I think people need to be as open as possible about the things that they think would be helpful. But there's just so much bandwidth that the leadership has. And so sometimes people get a little disappointed that their idea, which is a great idea, doesn't get prioritized quite as high as they would like. But it is an ongoing process. And I think that it's much more open and less rigorous and hierarchical than many organizations I've been a part of. And certainly, I think we can address ideas with greater facility and ease. You're definitely a nimble organization and nimble specialty. So that's great. Now that I am going to go back to you for one other question, it almost feels like there's a generational change of guards happening. Lots of new faces coming on board and we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Um, the likes of uh, Dr. Spies. And SIR from 15 years ago looks very different from SIR right now. 
I'm sure it's a time of excitement. So what are you really excited about as you come in as a new president in 2023? Yeah, I think there are a lot of exciting things going on in the society, and I would urge the members to look outside of this podcast because we've been trying to do a lot of communication around the governance change, and that will affect the executive council. So there's a lot of resources out there and a lot of planned webinars that are coming up to highlight sort of the differences and why we're going about this in preparation for the um, annual scientific meeting. But what I would say is that we are looking to make volunteer opportunities more expansive and the EC, as we've known it before, with the new governance changes that are being proposed will not have the same organization. And what we've done, and Parag Patel has been a leading proponent of these changes, is that we are incorporating the clinical specialty councils into what was previously the EC as a steering council. So then now we have the voices of the individual members who are focused on a particular area of clinical work. So for example, venous disease or pediatrics or peripheral arterial disease, and their voices are now concentrated in in one setting and can be heard routinely at the quarterly meetings that steering council holds. So I think that's one thing that's been really exciting. And with that, We're hoping to establish a pipeline of volunteerism so that people who are interested can get into opportunities and they know what their next step might be. So if you come in as a vice chair of a clinical specialty council, then you would eventually go up to chair. It gives you exposure to sort of the executive functioning of the society and also allows you to look at the different leadership roles that are occurring within the steering council and eventually the board of directors. So I think that's probably the most exciting change within the society right now. And the goal is to make volunteering more appealing to other people, create other roles and bring people in early on in the career or create opportunities for early career so that we eventually will keep the membership engaged throughout their career. And so, Jim, I want to go to you in terms of when I think about volunteerism, your face is the first one that sort of pops up because you are involved. (laughs) You are involved, I mean, you know, from a society perspective and just frankly, from more of a radiology perspective, you are involved in so many things. How do you find so much time to volunteer? In a way to give you the history of this, because I have had a very long path. I mean, it seems like I volunteer a lot because I have been in practice for a very long period of time. I mean, I joined the SIR and I want to say it was 88 or 89. The first year that it was, it was open to you know, broad membership, I was one of that initial class. There was an opportunity to get involved in the Standards and Practice Committee. Arena Von Breda asked me, he said, you know, we're looking for people who will do some work. Are you interested? And I sort of said, sure. So it was the first lesson I, I learned in IR and I learned that from Ernie Ring, actually, at, at UC San Francisco. And the answer is always yes. For someone who would like to get involved, what you need is you need to engage with the activities of the society. And when there's an opportunity, just say yes. It doesn't matter what it is. Just say yes, because you have the capability to do whatever is going to be asked. And what people will learn is that you are you know you work well with people, you're a reasonable person, and you actually get the job done. So I got started in standards of practice, and I worked my way up within a few years to be the chair of that, and then what came to the standards division. So I was first in this council, believe it or not, in like 93, 94, 95. Uh, and then actually, my wife and I had 
had our first child and she said, you're doing what with what time? And so I, I actually stepped back from the council at that stage. Then I came to Georgetown and then the opportunity to get involved again came along and I worked my way in. Uh, you know, People asked because I was involved in UAE early to get involved in the foundation and was involved in that effort and the registry, et cetera, and then moved through the foundation. So that was actually the second time I was on the council. And then I stepped off after six years and then I came back in, in 2012. First of all, I was very fortunate because I was doing things that I societies thought were actually useful and therefore they would want to engage me. But even beyond that, I think just being a good volunteer will bring you opportunities to volunteer more frequently. What people want is someone who will really do the job because it is so hard to get a dozen people to all move in the same direction. And so any committee functions best when everyone does, but we all know that committees tend to function when three or four people do a lot of work. And so be one of those three or four people. And I think that's the way to really build your career. It gives you great satisfaction, actually, of accomplishment to see that guideline with your name on it, you know, to, to really see a tangible benefit to what you're doing. And the tangible benefit often carries on to our patients because exactly. when we publish this, it actually becomes part of what we do and part of what's offered to our patients. Laura, I want to ask, you know, if somebody were young and looking into volunteering, what made you be a part of the EC and drove you to do your very best for the EC? Special moments you're proud of? It starts ahead of that, right? To be a good volunteer and to really make a difference, you know, you need to do a lot of listening and kind of hear what are the kind of themes that are around you and what are people struggling with and not wait for somebody to tell you what they want you to do. I think the way to really make a difference in volunteering and also be kind of noticed as a volunteer, like Jim said, is you know to do the work, but also to bring maybe a different perspective or new ideas for people to think about and then figure out how to act on those ideas. I was at-large counselor on the EC, which doesn't really have um, a particular role, which was a great opportunity to say, you know, well, what needs to get done? And there were a couple of initiatives that, you know, you look around and you say, well, what do we need? And then pick up the ball, figure out who can help you and create a plan and make it happen. You know, the thing that I, I think is probably most rewarding from when I was president was following through on the neurointerventional and particularly stroke intervention initiative that had been ongoing for several years and trying to finish that out, pulling in stakeholders from the different societies that do neurointervention, pulling in a lot of stakeholders within our organization, the Joint Commission, the ABR, to try to push through, and Alda was part of this with the training guidelines, trying to push all these things through together to really make sure we're protecting our constituency who are doing stroke intervention in the community and allowing them to be in a position where they're safe to help patients out in rural communities who don't otherwise have access to stroke intervention. And that basically required pulling on a lot of threads that other people had started and saying, you know, what is it going to take to get this across the finish line and pulling in all of the people to have those conversations and close that thing out. So I think, you know, the great thing about volunteering is that you can carry something for a number of years and finish it out and see how you can make a difference for patients and for our members. John Kaufman and Jean LaBerge told me, you know, when they were working on the IRDR residency, there was a decent sized constituency that believed that that was not the right thing, right? So there, there's always going to be the flip side of things where people may not be gungo about that initiative. One of the things Jean um, said was that listening to them just made the program even better. And so you kind of have to listen not only to people who may agree to you and think work with you, but also the people who may disagree with you. During your term, 
anything that stands out saying, I may have been wrong on this, and I'm glad I listened to this set of folks, um, and that just made the program stronger? Well, first of all, you have to come to this with the humility of recognizing that you don't have all the answers. And taking the example of the IRDR residency, and I was, I think like six SIR presidents or maybe eight were involved in that tangentially. <laughs> but John Kaufman and Jean LeBurge drove that from start to finish. And it was an enormously complex and difficult ongoing negotiation. And it took reasonable people uh, a lot of effort. And they were very patient. And you're correct. They listened. And they had the objections from other specialties, from people within our own specialty, et cetera. So of the things that this society has accomplished, and I give the SIR credit for this, even though the ABR and the ACGME and all that were the ones that actually had to put these things together in the end, in terms of certification of the ABR and with the uh, program requirements, it was the SIR that drove that. And so that, that is probably, in my mind, the single greatest accomplishment of this uh, society in the past 20 years. I mean, it is a massive step forward. So I think that the area that I focused on over the years, if you look at it longitudinally, was I recognized early when we were writing standards back in the early 90s was we were sort of six people in a room sort of saying, well, what do you think is the right answer or whatever, because we had no data. And we were really kind of going on, well, you know, let's kind of do this Delphi consensus. So it became clear to me, even at that stage, that we needed better evidence. I actually did some graduate work. I mean, I got a master's in public health specifically because I felt, you know, we need to really understand, I needed to understand research better. UAE came along and that was a great opportunity for collective action. The energy of the group of people that were involved in that was just spectacular. And we were able to put together one of the largest registries really ever achieved uh, in a matter of like 18 months. We enrolled 3,000 patients in 18 months in the, uh, in the fibroid registry, which was really an incredible accomplishment of all these 70 sites that were involved. But that was really, again, driven by what is the big picture, the long picture that we have? And that long picture is, as a specialty, we need to be able to support the things we do in a way that will make them sustainable over a long period of time. Therefore, we have to prove they work. And most of the things we do are in a hostile environment. We're working in gynecology. We're working in you know, some surgical specialties. We're working you know, against other fields, urology and other fields that have long established territory that we're coming in with new innovations. And so we're, we're exciting, we're innovative, we're you know, sort of disruptive, but when you disrupt people, you irritate them. <laughs> and so I've, you know, my, uh, my listening over the years in part came from listening to my wife who's a gynecologist, but also listening to really hundreds of gynecologists. I've been on lots of panels and, and I've been in lots of uh, steering committees for research projects and other things. And it really comes down to having the patience to recognize that others' opinions are of value and that they're going to inform what you do. And I think that the SIR's data collection and their overall scientific approach has really benefited tremendously from us being able to listen and understand what goes on out there. So all the different times I was on the council and during the presidency, I think that the focus in trying to advance our research agenda was probably the one common thread. And we're all benefiting from it. I mean, I love data and I'm glad we actually are not just doing things based on small little clinical experiences, right? Because at the end of it, if you want to stand amongst other specialties, we need to have hard data. And so Alda, I come to you with that. Both you and I love data. What is SIR, what are we looking towards, especially in things like PAE? We have several initiatives that are moving our field forward. 
So when I took over guidelines, uh, while we still do the Delphi method in, in some cases for the topics and clinical um, interventions that are ready for the clinical practice guideline, we now have the resources and staff to be able to create clinical practice guidelines that are up to methodologic rigor in comparison with many of the other societies. Secondly, we have a big initiative from the SIR Foundation and the Vertex Registry that we have launched and you know, are moving towards collecting real-world data across a variety of interventional radiology interventions that should help guide and establish our quality and value to medicine moving forward into the future. And the last initiative that I'd like to highlight is the clinical trials network that this SIR Foundation is trying to organize. And that is in the beginning stages, but hopefully that will be something that promotes the ease of interventional radiology research and collaboration across the nation and helps to mentor and foster a culture of research for the um, IRs in training now. So I think all three are extraordinarily promising. But absolutely, we agree that if we're going to compete with other primary medical specialties, we need to establish ourselves with data and with thresholds and quality platforms like every other medical specialty that is out there. When you're in this long enough that you can actually see where the seed is planted, the culture change around, you know, how people feel about a topic and then seeing somebody come in and operationalize that culture change, like Alda's been able to do, it's really powerful and, and has such a huge impact on our ability to really take better care of patients. It's incredible. Yeah, I have to say, you know, just listening to all the, the sophistication of the current leadership and what they're doing related to evidence and understanding the things we do, what, what Alda just outlined, I mean, it's fantastic. And it is a, it is light years ahead of where we were. It really is light years ahead. And it, you know, makes me proud of them. This has been an excellent conversation. Thank you so much. I really appreciate all the time that you guys have spent not only talking today, but for all your hours and days and years of service to the society. So thank you again very much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great to be a part of it. Thanks. See you in June. That was Dr. Nishida Kathari speaking with a panel of IR leaders on how and why to get involved with SIR leadership. We thank our guest hosts and panelists for their time and you for listening to The King's Wire. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have any thoughts or ideas for us, drop us a line at irq at surwet.org.